to those tuning in today. Welcome to Training Wheels, a podcast born to explore the depths of art therapy and its many facets. I am your host, Juliana Haug, and I want to thank those returning to this platform for yet another episode, but I also wanted to take a moment and welcome all newcomers. Just as a reminder, you can reach out to me with any questions, comments, and or concerns related to the Training Wheels via email. The address is podcast.trainingwheels at gmail.com, all lowercase and no spaces. I am a huge advocate for continuous development and there's always room for improvement, so your feedback and comments are more than welcomed. So today with me, I have the honor in hosting a very special guest located in the D.C. area, Jessica Snow. I do want to take a brief moment to give a verbal trigger warning. Because September is Suicidal Awareness Month, I thought it would be extremely meaningful and important to highlight all mental health advocates, prevention organizations, survivors, allies, and community members in which promote suicide prevention awareness. So first and foremost, if you or someone you know is struggling with harmful ideation, I highly encourage you to call 988. This is the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. This network and its partners are working heavily to change the conversation from suicide to suicide prevention and take action to promote healing, help, and overall give hope. So again, that number is 988. Today, Jessica uh, will share her knowledge and professional experience and suicide awareness and safety planning. So again, this may be a sensitive topic. And so you are encouraged to listen with caution and feel free to pause, stop, and or skip this episode if it seems too triggering. But with that... Um, It's just been a joy to have Jessica here with me and uh, converse about this topic that is super, super important. Um, So I invite you to get comfortable. And with that, let the episode begin. Hey, hello, Jessica. How are you? Hey, Juju. So nice to be here with you. Oh, I am so happy that you're here and doing this and just supporting training wheels in this way. Um, love to hear your pearls of wisdom coming in. So I just kind of just break it down for us. What do you what do you want to talk about today and get started there? Uh, well, my name is Jessica Snow. Um, I have over a decade of experience uh, in trauma focused healing arts in the Washington, D.C. area. And right now I'm heading towards graduate work in art therapy. I really love the way that art therapy intersects with our current medical system, pulling in the healing powers of art, which is something that we have accessible to us. Each each one of us is a well of creativity if we dare to tap into it. So I think that as we start integrating more art into the medical profession and um, just bridging that across, you know, from physical wellness, mental health wellness, um, you know, into our schools and learning systems, engaging art in that way, I think we'll really get to grow as a culture and as a society into a deeper sense of our own wellness as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 
Oh, so that's a beautiful testimony. I love it. And um, how, may I ask, did you actually hear about art therapy, um, especially since, you know, you've been so integrated in like the medical field per, um, per se? So I, uh, I came to the healing arts through yoga, um, studying uh, yoga as a physical practice, um, specifically with a focus on the connective tissue and the way that the connective tissue can bind and create adhesions that sort of lock the trauma of our experience into our body. And we see that on a physical level when we see somebody who's been in a car accident, they get whiplash and then they've got these connective tissue adhesions in their neck and we see the same pains coming up over and over again there. It's pretty easy for people to conceptualize how trauma gets locked into the connective tissue in the body that way. But what we don't often talk about in our culture is the way that mental health and uh, mental emotional traumas can get locked in our body that way. So when we're in a situation where we're being confronted with an aggressor and we recoil and we don't have that opportunity to discharge our nervous system and release our connective tissue, our connective tissue, <laughs> I often talk to uh classes and clients about it as being it's like that type a friend that like it really wants to support you so much right and so the muscles are like you know they're there doing their work but the connective tissue is like right on top of them like holding them in and when our muscles react suddenly like that it takes a little while for the connective tissue to realize that the muscles have are you know ready to discharge ready to move forward the connective tissue will sort of bind up into that pattern and it takes at least 90 seconds for the connective tissue to, to release, for the fibers of the connective tissue to come back out into their normal web. And so if we don't take that time to allow the connective tissue to release, to allow our body to return to a you know, homeostatic state, mm -hmm. then we start to have those same loops coming back into our body. We start having those same neurochemical responses triggered. So working through yoga and then deepening my practice through polarity therapy, which is a type of manual healing uh, that combines sort of some tactile energy work with adjustments of the connective tissue and sometimes the bones and muscles, and all within the five element philosophy uh, that's found in Ayurveda. Mm -hmm. So all of that sort of built into my trauma-focused practice with clients um, it took me a really long time to come back to a traditional educational setting. Uh, I had originally started my college in the field of photography and um, being an artist for my whole life, I realized, you know, when I was interning there and then starting to look for jobs where I could, you know, make a living as an artist, it felt soul crushing to me. It felt like I was selling the thing that was keeping me alive. And I don't think that you can commodify a life in that way. So I stepped away from that, moved into the healing arts. And so much more recently, we've heard about art therapy. You know, it's been around for a very long time since what, like the 70s, um, maybe yeah. even before then. Um, but for one reason or another, it's sort of always been on the back burner, even, even when there have been systems in place to seamlessly integrate it into our school systems and so much research to show how powerful it is with hospitalized patients and, you know, people who are really struggling with psychosis. 
um, for one reason or another, we haven't built the art therapy practices into the world around us in the way that probably many people realize they would best serve our culture. Um, and I was so, so blessed um, at the start of the pandemic when, you know, I wasn't able to teach in studios anymore and see one-on-one -on -one clients anymore. And I, I wanted to do something with my time that felt like I was still building the world around me. Um, so I started looking at going back to school and what that would be like. And so, so blessed to find the creative art therapy program at West Liberty at that time. Um, it was immeasurably above any of the other programs that I was able to research and find uh, with a focus on social justice and bridging the gap between art psychotherapy and art as therapy in a way that is, I find integrative of a whole human. Um, so yeah, decided to move forward in that direction and definitely knowing that this is my path, I could not imagine doing school in any other way. Yes, yeah, you're not looking back. Just <laughs> no, no. Yeah, <laughs> that's wonderful. So it just sounds like all these things just collided at once and art therapy was kind of what what was birthed out of it. That's amazing. I love it. I love it. And so it's a, I mean, you're so right. I just, we do have a culture nowadays that, you know, art is kind of for a grade. And so it's not something about that process, that um, connectivity, that's something that extends beyond yourself um, or even just the extension of the self. So um, I do a hundred percent agree with you that it, there is these beautiful healing factors of art, um, which is again, one of the reasons why um, schools, art therapy clinics, um, people such as yourself, or even just, little things like this podcast, like we're trying to promote that healing factor of art and that creative process. So that's wonderful. And art is so accessible to anybody. Like I've met so many people who are like, oh, I'm not creative. But one of the art exercises that I've been doing uh, before bed every night, it's just a simple discharge energy that was, I was so blessed uh, last semester to get to work with a graduate art therapy who was getting their uh, clinical hours in. And they gave me this exercise, uh, the scribble drawing exercise. So it's a bilateral scribble drawing. Um, one thing that, um, you know, as you dig deeper into the trauma focus and healing trauma, you'll uh, probably, I'm sure you already know about it, but for, you know, an average listener, uh, you might have heard of bilateral stimulation, uh, which basically, uh, brings the energy charge from one side of the brain to the other side of the brain, and it sort of um, vacillates back and forth between the two hemispheres in a way that is centering and focusing for uh, the human brain and the human body. So very simple bilateral stimulation is walking. You know, when we walk, we don't swing our whole right side forward and our whole left side forward. We're doing right arm, left leg, left arm, right leg, and that itself is a bilateral stimulation. So uh, I've been taking markers in both hands and just scribbling all over this huge uh, sheet of paper. And then once I decide to stop, that's when I stop and pick another color. And then I go and I, you know, maybe pick up all the different of uh, certain shapes in the scribble drawings that I can find. Or, you know, as my as experimenting with that process has deepened for me, uh, my creativity through it has deepened. So, you know, sometimes I find some little faces, I'm like, oh, that's an eye, or like, oh, that's a teddy bear today, or like, oh, there's a tree in there somewhere. Um, and just 
this five to 15 minute exercise before bed has become an incredible way for me to discharge energy. And it's also something that I think is really accessible to anybody who's like, I cannot color in the lines to save my life. Well, you don't even have to. Absolutely. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Literally, you can just put something on the paper and go with it. Like that, yeah. that can be an experience in itself. Absolutely. Yeah. And how kinesthetic is that too? Just moving your body. I mean, what a way to release endorphins. Um, And I think too, again, you said this too, and thank you so much for clarifying for anybody tuning in and listening. Um, But how amazing and just kind of subconscious, like the activation of your brain and certain parts of your body being activated just in art making. I mean, you're not thinking about the the bilateral homeostasis while you're scribble drawing, right? That's not your goal. You're like, okay, this is why I'm doing it, right? It's it's just a release and it's natural. Um, and that's just, oh, it's so wonderful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. Um, well, I wanted just to give you a moment just to talk about your knowledge um, in the field. What have you gained and would like to come in and share with us today and and so forth? Well, one thing that I've noticed a lot coming up in our culture around us, uh, you know, uh, we saw that um, rates of suicides during the pandemic decreased. They, I think they went down by 5%. I, I've got the CDC uh, uh, the CDC statistics somewhere. Um, but in, you know, post lockdown after the pandemic, we, the CDC reports that 12.3 million adults considered suicide in 2021 alone. And, uh, that the rates have increased 37% between the year 2000 and 2018. And after that slow decline, uh, they are now peaking again. Um, Statistically, uh, men are nearly 80% of attempted suicides, um, but we're seeing more and more young kids Mm. considering suicide and taking acts of suicide, uh, which is, I think, really challenging. So one of the things that I was hoping to talk about today, a tool that has helped me in my own life just when I've been feeling overwhelmed is safety planning. And safety planning is a tool that can be used to keep people safe if they are struggling with suicidal thoughts or struggling with ending habits of self-harm. They can even be used in some of our most challenging times when we're feeling the most hopeless and the most bleak. I think of a safety plan as sort of like a treasure map back into ourselves, back into feeling in control. So I was hoping that we could spend a little time today not only talking about suicide and the way that our culture is being impacted, by that mental health crisis, which is being called an epidemic by some, um, but then talk about how to have communication around people who might be experiencing suicidal ideations, and then how to safety plan for ourselves, for our loved ones, and ways that we can move forward in order to support our communities through this mental health crisis. Oh, absolutely. And I just, um, just real quick before we dive into that, I just wanted to clarify, like, it doesn't have to be safety planning doesn't have to be for somebody who, you know, doesn't have um, suicidal ideation. Right. It's, it's for everybody. Like this is something that um, helps just prevent future harm to the self um, or even um, I think 
personally, it's important and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's important for other people to have this knowledge so that if they come across somebody that they know, friends, family, um, acquaintances, that they're able to guide them in a certain direction too. Um, so, you know, I just wanted to, to, I guess I'm kind of fishing for like a little bit of validation for anybody, you know, listening in um, who are like, that's great and all, but I don't personally go through that. Um, that's okay. That's really great and healthy. But information is still, it's still key and important just in case, you know, um, you know, you come across somebody. Um, Absolutely, yes. And thank you for clarifying that. When I say, I call it a safety plan um, because uh, the steps are the same, whether you're planning for somebody who's struggling with suicidal ideation or whether you're planning for somebody who just needs that extra support around them. Like I've safety planned myself before and I wasn't experiencing suicidal ideations at that time. I was just going through a heartbreaking separation, feeling totally lost and not sure how to direct my energy. And I was finding myself in these stuck moments where I would just sort of wander around aimlessly and not be sure how to accomplish the things that I wanted to accomplish, not be sure how to draw myself back into a feeling of safety and security in my body. I was just feeling like, really anxious, really uncertain about the future. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I had this moment where I was like, wait, like, like I need a map here. A safety plan is like a treasure map. And I, I think of it as a treasure map back into our core of ourself so that we can remember that we are in control and that we do have choice and that we have the ability to, uh, you know, create this system around us to bolster us towards our goals. Um, and a safety plan, it, it sort of builds, um, I think of it as like safety plans are, they contain all the nouns. And so they, they build from like the nouns that we can engage with to take care of ourselves, the nouns that we can lean on for support. And, and they build up until we have that deepest support around us, at least until we remember like, like why we're doing this until we can turn back to that sort of North node or that North star that that guides us because when we're in the middle of a crisis like that, whether it's a panic attack or whether it's thoughts of hopelessness that where we want to end our life, we sort of lose sight of that North star and we lose sight of that direction. And, and that can be the most challenging thing to overcome. Even if outside of those moments, we're like, oh, I know why I do this. I know what I'm here for. When we're in those depths, we, you know, it, it can be helpful to have a map to turn to, to oh, carry us back onto the path. Right there's just a lot of noise to decipher and diffuse. So having something tangible almost um, mm -hmm. definitely, definitely helps. Absolutely. All right. Well, please, please. Um, I invite you just to dive right on in. Okay. So I've got the, I pulled up the recent CDC statistics um, and they are recent as of 2021. Now here we are in the middle of 2023 and um What's interesting now is that we have National 988. So I don't know if you've heard of 988. Mm -hmm. um, there was a 800 line, the, the National Suicide Hotline, that has been out for quite some time now. Um, and it wasn't so popular. Um, but then I think it was in 2017, there was a an artist named Logic. He made this song. I don't know if you want to like play a clip of it for people, but um, he, he was singing about, you know, the National Suicide Hotline and he sung about the number targeting it towards younger people, targeting it towards teens and youth who are being impacted by these feelings of hopelessness. And between 2018, 
when like right after this song was released in 2021, the, stati the statistics showed that rates of suicide among youth were going down. They were feeling more supported and um, people were actually turning to the National Suicide Hotline. Um, now the suicide hotline turned into National 988 in May 2022 and comparing May 2023 of this year to last year, May 2022, calls increased by 45%, chats increased by 52%, and texts increased by 938%. So we're seeing specifically youth leaning into the National 988 number in a way that they've never been able to access before. With it being just this three-digit number like 911, it's much easier to remember than 1-800 to, wait, I've already lost it. You right, know? right, um, yeah. So, so yeah, having it turn into 988 has created access for people in so many ways. And I know when 988 first came out, I saw all over social media, people talking about how calling there is going to result in like geolocation services being used and immediate police intervention. But in the statistics that I pulled up, uh, less than 1% of contacts actually end with police intervention. Mm -hmm. And with this focus on mental health, a lot of districts have now mobile crisis teams or people, crisis centers, people who can work with individuals who are struggling and looking for that support, not sure where to find it, and needing needing those extra tools around them to help them come back into a space of feeling in control and empowered. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah, I, I mean, I have heard of um, 988 and that shift. Um, I actually, I remember, um, you know, back in the day when they sent at the end, like, and if you're experiencing this, just a list of 1-800 numbers. Mm -hmm. And so it is absolutely amazing. I think that we have this like universal number now that it doesn't matter what state you're in, what county you're in, we have this number that you can call. It's short, it's easy to remember. Um, but yes, I think too, um, there's a lot of stigma in, in the calling process as well. Mm -hmm. um, exactly what you said, uh, the fear factor of the consequences for making a, a call. So having that comfortability, knowing that it's, um, it's just a, it's a hotline for a crisis really that you're going through, um, that they are promoting, um, more so a, a conversation, um, from, you know, the suicidal ideation that you may be going through to the prevention of it, or, um, you know, let's discuss options and actions that we can take to, you know, promote healing or just, you know, simply just give hope in this, in this time of need. Um, so that's wonderful. Um, thank you yeah. for calling in awareness about the number too. That's awesome. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, with the national 988, you don't have to call, you can even text or chat in. Mm -hmm. I think that, um, you know, we've seen people's hesitance for calling with the 938% increase in texts over just the past year alone, that's astronomical. Yes. Um, and actually I was one of those texts when 988 first opened, I wasn't in a suicidal crisis. I wanted to know what the service was like. And so I reached out and uh, I had a very warm and caring interaction with somebody. It was very affirming and 
um, you, you know, they just let me know that I was welcome there to talk anytime I needed to talk about anything or was needing resources or support. So I think it even goes beyond a mental health crisis. Like when we are having any type of struggle, the most important thing that we can do is reach out and open up about it. Because when we're carrying that all alone, it can feel so isolating. And that isolation can bring us even deeper into those depths and into despair. Mm -hmm. um, with suicidal ideation specifically, opening up to talk about it can be something that keeps us, that can be the dividing factor between us feeling like we need to take an action to end our life mm -hmm. or feeling like we have the ability to make it just for one more day. Mm -hmm. Like sometimes it's just that one day at a time, but sometimes opening up in that way, just saying, hey, like I'm having these thoughts, it gives us that feeling of like, okay, I don't have to do that. Just for one more day, I can go forward and I can, you know, see how I'm feeling tomorrow. I can make it for just one more day. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So where does our treasure map come in? Where does the safety planning um, come into uh, to existence for us in these moments of crisis? So safety planning, I, I, I'd like to back up just a little bit because um, mentioning how to have co communication with somebody who might be struggling with suicidal ideation, I, I think it really tying together that piece about the the necessity for communication can be so important when we are individuals holding space in our community for healing or holding space for friends and family who might be going through a hard time. Having direct communication about suicidal ideation is so important. So I, I think of three different direct questions that are necessary if you think that somebody might be having thoughts about ending their life, or you have noticed some warning signs, somebody giving away possessions, somebody going through a long period of despair, and then suddenly seeming fine. You know, um, people talking about feeling hopeless, making jokes about ending their life. Uh, just a quick statistic here, firearms are responsible in over 50% of suicide. So, um, lock up your guns and check on your friends and family with guns, make sure that their guns are locked up. Mm -hmm. But going back to the direct communication around suicidal ideation, asking those direct questions in an open and non-judgmental way, which can take some practice, practicing with yourself. Have you any thoughts about killing yourself recently? Have you thought about killing yourself? Have you been thinking about ending your life with everything that's been going on? Mm -hmm. It can be kind of awkward to bring that up to a friend and especially during the pandemic i was like to some of my friends i was like oh can i do a quick safety check with you right you know just just making sure hey is it okay if i check in about your safety and then if they're like yeah okay i'm like you know i hear that you've been really struggling like have you been thinking about killing yourself with everything that's been going on mm -hmm. and some of them were like yeah you know i've had those thoughts but you know, I, I don't think I'd take any action to do it. You know, some of them were like, oh, no, I haven't had thoughts like that. But but the people who were like, yeah, then, well, you know, being with those thoughts all alone, it's a burden too much for anybody. How have you been thinking about doing it if you tried it? 
by asking that question, not only does that give you an opportunity to see how far they've come in their planning, but it gives you an opportunity to see ways that you could help them stay safe. Like if they're talking about, you know, the the firearm in Papa's closet, you know, then you might say, hey, Papa, like you've got to lock up that gun. Right. Or they're talking about overdosing on their medication. Like, hey, like who can hold on to those medications for you and give them out to you just a couple of days at a time so it's not too tempting for you in that way. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And then finally asking, well, you know, when do you think you would do it if you decided to try? Is there something specific that would set you off there? Like, how will you know it's the right time? Mm -hmm. Some people think that these are like pretty morbid questions. And I can totally see that perspective. But without asking these questions, we won't have a clear picture of a person's safety. We won't have a clear picture of whether a person is in need of a safety plan that is focusing on literally removing their means and prolonging their timeline or just a safety plan to give them tools for coping with their everyday stressors. Oh, absolutely. And two, it's just, uh, you know, these questions, they're, they're direct, right? There's no beating around the bush and tiptoeing, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that that's so, so important to, to see here is that um, when you care for somebody, and you mentioned a personal experience when you were talking with your friends, you would want to check in with their mm -hmm. their health, right? If someone broke their leg, you're not going to just look at them and and just not rush them to the hospital to get it checked out, right? Mm -hmm. You're right. It's so easy to pick up on those physical ailments, mental illness, um, and and these harmful ideations too are just as important, if not, you know more important than just a broken leg, right? Um, so it, it is direct, it's not beating around the bush, but also, you know, those questions, if you become in a habit of asking them, it almost seems like it's like a little bit of an olive branch, right? It's it's extending mm -hmm. um, that avenue to talk about it more, to be more open, to have that support system. Um, again, letting that that person know this person's quite direct. I can actually go to them when I need to give a direct answer um, and, and, and whatnot. So when these questions become more mainstream, it almost seems like that olive branch, that hope. Absolutely, yes. And there's such a difference. I, I believe in American culture, we're so used to glossing over things, like somebody might make a joke about killing themselves and we might like chuckle a little bit and say, oh, but you have so much to live for. Or like if we're approaching the questions, instead of saying, have you thought about killing yourself at all recently? We might say, oh, you're not thinking about killing yourself, are you? Like there is so much underlying shame that we place in our language around these thoughts that come up for 12.3 million adults in 2021 alone. Like that's not even talking about the children who are struggling with these thoughts of suicide. Children right. as low as eight years old, eight right. years old. It it breaks my heart and it blows my mind that kids so young are having thoughts about ending their life. And I actually had that in my personal life. I was visiting extended family and uh, a young child who's a part of our extended family came up to me and an eight-year-old child, mm -hmm. part of our extended family, thank God they had a presence enough to trust me with this. They were like, you know, sometimes I think I might kill myself, but other times I think I want to live. And 
Because wow. I had younger kids around at that time, I, you know, I didn't do a full safety check. I didn't say like, oh, how do you think you would do it? I didn't say, oh, you know, when do you think you would do it if you tried? Instead, I just checked in with their mom and was like, hey, you might, you might talk about this at a later time, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but it's, it's amazing how it's around us all the time if we're listening. Like certainly, my experience talking to this eight-year-old was not an isolated experience. Like. We're having kids all over this country who are trying to die by suicide every day. Mm-hmm. So the more that we can normalize these questions and the more that we can remove shame from our languaging and say, hey, you're not alone. People people have these thoughts all the time. And just because these thoughts are coming up doesn't mean you have to act on these thoughts. Like if you have these thoughts, we can talk about them. We can give you tools for support. We can create a nurturing and protective nest to snuggle around you and keep you safe and and help you feel loved and cared for in all the ways that you need to make it through whatever hard time you're going through right now and it's my belief that everybody deserves that type of care and it brings us to safety planning because i i feel that every person deserves an opportunity to feel in control of what they can control and to feel like they can create a safe environment for themselves and to feel like they have the tools and resources to lean on to care for themselves in the ways that they need to care for themselves. Mm -hmm. So the safety planning, just being the treasure map back into a person, I think of in five steps. And all of the steps basically consist of the nouns. These are people, places, and things that you can use for support. You might already know about protective factors. So these can be professional supports, medications, lifestyle choices that we make can be protective factors. And so any protective factors are lowering lowering our risk for suicide. Uh, They're also helping us to feel more in control of the things that are going on in our life. Our family and social relationships can be protective factors. Community resources can be protective factors. Things like, you know, Food stamps can be a protective factor for a person. A crisis center can be a protective factor. Interests and hobbies are protective factors. Faith and spirituality are protective factors. And when I start creating this treasure map, creating the safety plan, I tend to start with the pure, tangible, physical needs first. What are ways that I can care for my body? These can be different for everybody. I often recommend putting a glass of water on there because how often does taking a pause just to have a little sip of water or to drink a glass of water mm-hmm. shift our mindset. Some things that work for people also include taking a really hot or a really cold shower. That can feel like a pretty intense reset if we're feeling out of our body or if we're feeling distressed in some way. Caring for our body by getting a snack you might have heard like the HALT acronym, like if you're starting to feel acronym, if you're starting to feel act- activated, then uh, <clears throat> check in about whether you're feeling hungry or angry or lonely or tired, assessing our sleep needs, assessing our needs for connection. Those can all be ways that we care for our body. Mm-hmm. Normally I start a safety plan by assessing ways that we can do things alone. So that lonely feeling comes into play a little bit later. That first step, ways that you can care for your body, even just putting on some smelly lotions and taking a moment to sit with your breath can be a way to care for your body. 
And if you found that you're going through these steps in the plan, usually I recommend at least two or three things at each step so that you do have a choice. You know, maybe if you're at the grocery store, you're not going to take a hot shower, but maybe you can take five long circular breaths and see if that helps you. Yeah. So this is kind of like the uh, physiological, like very bodily and somatic kind of level here that you're talking about, just kind of grounding in the bodily self. Yes. Grounding into the bodily self. That's a great way to put it. Okay. So ju just assessing what's going on with your body. Um, there is a five senses uh, method of orientation that I think was put out by the Mayo Clinic. Okay. And um if, oh, let me pull it up. I can just talk about that really quickly. Yeah, um, absolutely. I, I think of it as a pretty helpful tool, um, a pretty helpful coping tool. Um, so yes, the Mayo Clinic's five, four, three, two, one countdown. Mm -hmm. So taking a moment to sit or stand comfortably, taking a deep breath, and then looking around to see what five things do you notice? So engaging with your senses, engaging with that sense of sight, what five things can you notice? Then once you've noticed those things, maybe they're objects or colors or shapes, taking that deep breath and then noticing what four things you can physically feel, maybe the soles of your feet, maybe the sweat in the palm of your hand, maybe the sensation in the back of your jaw, the clenching of your teeth, maybe even the texture of your clothes against your body. Finding that breath and then what three things you can hear around you or off in the distance. So engaging with these senses, coming down, taking that breath. What two things can you smell? Taking that deep breath, engaging with the senses. What one thing can you taste? And oftentimes people will go through this body scan and it brings them back into that physical space, which can give them a new sense of control, give them a new sense of perspective. Right. Yeah. And it's obtainable too. It's something mm -hmm. that it, it doesn't require any um, tangible tool. It just requires yourself and, and this kind of refocus. Yeah. And, you know, we are all blessed with different levels of ability. So a mm -hmm. person who isn't able to see as well or isn't able to hear as well might have modifications to the countdown. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But generally coming into the senses in the best way that you can, that would be the first step. How can you come into your senses, notice what's going on with your body and take care of those physiological needs, as you said. Right. From there, if you're still feeling distressed, if you're still feeling anxious or, you know, struggling with whatever's going on for you, leaning into ways that you can distract yourself. So what are ways that you can distract yourself? some favorite tools. I know one of my favorite ways to distract myself is going out into my garden and just looking at all of my plants. Mm -hmm. you know, not everybody has that as a tool. Some people like to read a favorite book or play a favorite video game. Uh, and there are some really incredible tools out there as well, uh, different apps that people can pull up on their phone. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, a couple of them are the Move Mood app or the Calm Harm app or the Clear Fear app, all of those are uh, directed towards different sensations that people might be feeling, whether it's depression or the urge to self-harm or feelings of anxiety. Mm -hmm. um, but sometimes even just, you know, playing a little game of, you know, Tetris on your phone or doing a little frog or pulling out your switch can be helpful. 
Yeah. Do you have any favorite tools that you use to distract yourself? Oh, uh, 100%. I, I, I'm kind of um, a, a grandma at 23 and I love playing solitaire and, you know, all those things, but not just solitaire on my phone. I have to have the cards, like the physical cards. Something about turning those cards over for me is just very cathartic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that also brings you back into your body because you're having that tangible sensation of the cards in yes. front of you. Yeah. 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 Uh, I, I think it can be really powerful that you can be when you're making a safety plan, the easier it's going to be for you. So instead of saying, read a book, saying, read a passage from Thich Nhat Hanh's On Love, mm-hmm. or, you know, uh, instead of saying, you know, go out into the garden, like pull out all of the invasive grasses from the garden, mm-hmm. you know? Okay, yes. When we're in this place of distress, it can be really hard to know where to start and take action. Even saying, you know, putting on your favorite show, like it can be like, oh, well, what favorite show is that going to be? Or mm-hmm. like you can get more specific than that and be like, you know, I want to watch, you know, Queer Love or, you know, I want to watch, you know, a, a Miyazaki film, like, and I've got three in my arsenal that I can choose from, like, right. um, being more specific in that way, the the more we can be directive with ourselves in the future while still providing that pathway of choice, the more supported we'll be in the moment that we need it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, I feel like this is something, and please correct me if it's just like way off the ballpark, but, you know, these things are supposed to be fluid. So, it doesn't always have to be the same book as long as it's specific. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's one of those things where you could just say um, maybe, maybe next month, the specific book is, you know, I don't know. I, I love the Outlander series. So mm-hmm. like Outlander, right. Um, reread chapter one or something like that. Right. Or, um, and then the next month is like, I'm kind of tired of Outlander. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's switch it up. So it's supposed to be fluid, but yet specific. Absolutely. And thank you for bringing that up because any plan like this is a living plan. It's living and breathing with us. Mm-hmm. So it's meant to morph and change with us. As we learn new tools that are supportive, we add them to our plan. We we put them on the map. And when we have tools on the map that don't work anymore, we take them off the map. We are growing with this map just mm-hmm. as much as it is growing with us. And so coming back and reassessing every once in a while and making those shifts you know, changing which book we're going to turn to or changing which program that we want to put on, all of that can be really helpful. And that can support the long-term success of having this kind of support. Right, right. Great. So we've started with things that we can do on our own. And once we've made it through those things that we can do on our own, leaning into the people and places that can be a distraction for us can be really helpful. Sometimes even just changing our environment, like taking a moment to go outside and go on a walk, go to our favorite park, going to sit in a coffee shop where we're going to be surrounded by a lot of people, but not really have to talk to anybody because we don't know them. Changing our environment in that way can be really helpful when we're in a place of distress and just kind of feeling lost and unable to pull ourselves out of that. Mm -hmm. Just as much as leaning on somebody that we know Normally, leaning on people that can distract us, I think of them as they're not the people who you're going to tell what's going on. They're people that you're like, oh, this is a really interesting person, and I'd love to know more about what they're going on, you know, what's going on for them, what what they're going through in their life. 
So that might be one or two people that you can just send a text to or call up and be like, hey, what are you getting into right now? Will you tell me a story about your day? Okay, yeah. Instead of ha having that space to unload here, mm -hmm. taking the space to really focus on something else and, and broaden our perspective in that way. Right, right. Yeah, I think that that's a huge point too, because we all have that one person that we kind of um, use them as like a, a landfill, right? And mm -hmm. I, I, and same um, same to yourself as like you're open for them to kind of dump on you, right? Mm -hmm. But you know, you don't. I, if you're driving this dump truck and you're like, I I I'm not ready to dump yet. I don't want to go to my landfill. We're going to go to a different destination, right? And so that would be a, a different person. Um, not somebody that's so open to, to for you to, to open up. I think that's awesome that you're calling that into awareness. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it was, I think it might have been Andrew Huberman who was talking about uh, the necessity of broadening our perspective when we're feeling like really focused and sort of trapped, like being in this place of crisis or distress can feel like having blinders on and all we can see is like right in front of us in that moment. So broadening our perspective to the world around us is kind of like stepping back from the computer screen and just like looking out at the landscape around us and giving our eyes the opportunity to focus on things far in the distance to see how that might change our own perspective or change the sensations that we're experiencing in that moment. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the vision that I see is the, the binoculars because mm -hmm. um, they're just so circular and hyper-focused on something zooming in and then you take it out and there's just like this whole new world. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So once you've gone through caring for your body, distracting yourself alone or with people or places that can sort of give you that fresh perspective, that's when you would move into that fourth step of people that you can lean on for support. So say you've you've texted your friend and they've told you about your day and you're just still feeling so devastated and so hopeless with whatever's going on in your life. That's when you would have that list of two or three people that you can lean on for support in your personal life, calling up your bestie, you know, maybe leaning on a family member that you can trust, leaning on somebody who is more close to you in a personal way, like somebody from your faith-based system that you can lean on in that way. Uh, but who knows you on a more personal level and can sort of like nurture you and, and hold you in that space. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and something um, that you, one word that you gave was the word trust. Um, and I think that that's an important part here um, because you want to have that person, that support system where you trust their judgment because in this moment you are, um, and there's a book by Daniel Comment where he talks about noise and how that disrupts your judgment and your reasoning. Mm -hmm. And um, this is a completely normal and biological thing with, with, with your brain, it's overloaded, it's overstimulated. You need um, somebody that you do trust that is grounded, that can help you with that judgment. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, and when it comes to that fourth step in the safety plan, I would even encourage people to let these individuals know that you're creating a safety plan, that you're going through something really big and that you wanna have them on that plan so that you can reach out to them if you're feeling distressed or if you're feeling like you need more support, that, that they can be a support. And having those people as, as people that you can check in about your safety plan with and say, hey, like I took these different 
opportunities to care for my body and distract myself. And I reached out to this person for distraction, or I went to this different place and it didn't help. And I'm really needing more support right now. That way they can know that you're, you're pretty deep in it. And it's not just a random call that you're needing to vent and process that you've been taking steps to get yourself the support that you need and you haven't been successful so far. So they can sort of know, maybe they can turn into that direct communication saying, well, hey, like, are you having thoughts about killing yourself right now? Right. You know, what are you thinking about? Or, you know, what can I do to, to help you relieve some of this burden in this moment? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And also give them the opportunity to gain more knowledge about how to handle a situation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So after that fourth step, moving into the fifth step of professionals that you can lean on for support. So that would be like your therapist or counselor. Anybody who's at a college institution has access to a therapist or counselor. And many school clinics are very, very well equipped to handle everything from test-based anxiety to really intense suicidal ideation. Mm -hmm. So, uh, professionals that you can lean on for support might also come back to those community resources, like a crisis center that you can turn to. Maybe that's the national 988 number that you want to put on here. In fact, I would recommend everybody to put 988 on their safety plan, especially if they haven't gotten to it before step five, you know, then at their step five as someplace that they can text into, call into, go chat with and, and say, hey, like I'm going through something really hard and all of my coping tools have not worked so far. And I'm really needing to be able to look beyond that into other resources that could be helpful. And I don't know where to go at that at this point to get those resources. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, once you've leaned into those professionals, a lot of them can give a more clear perspective about where more support can come in. So if you're having a panic attack and you get to that point and you're having really intense ch chest pain, they might say, hey, like, it might be helpful for you to get seen by a doctor right now. Or if you're having really intense suicidal ideations, those might be the people that are, are trained to say, hey, like to, to go through that three-step plan and say like, hey, how are you thinking about killing yourself right now? What ways can we reduce those access, reduce that access to means for you? And what can we do to lengthen your timeline here so it's not feeling quite so imminent? Mm -hmm. um, but if you've made it past that professional point, if you've made it to that point of professionals, I, I think it's always helpful to have that north node or to be able to look at the compass and, and to remind yourself, like, why are you even turning to the professionals? So I think of the north node or that north star as something separate than the five steps in the safety plan. It's something that you can see so when I'm working with clients to draw out a plan like this, I like to draw it like an actual physical map, um, tying in some of that art therapy. Yeah, where, absolutely. You know, we're mapping out the different stages and we're creating it in, into the landscape that we want. And at that compass, at the very top, that north node, putting that line, I keep myself safe. And then you can put fill it in with whatever you want. Is it by removing access to means? if you're struggling with suicidal ideation, by putting away your razors, by having somebody hold your pills? Is it, I keep myself safe for my cats, for my trip to the Bahamas, for my family that I love so much, you know? 
we all will have a different North node to turn to, but having it laid out there in a moment that we're feeling in control and empowered can make it a lot easier to return to that point of focus and direction when we're feeling so lost. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I think a, a lot of times too, it's that, um, that North star really that grounds you in, and that connectivity of what's holding you here. Um, and I think a lot of times, um, with that, uh, suicidal ideation in, in particular, um, and I've had conversations with this too, um, is that defense mechanism of avoidance, right. Mm -hmm. Of avoiding anything that can keep you here. Um, mm -hmm. and so being able to tap in and find some things that, okay, actually this is, this is what, what guides me. This is what keeps me going. Um, and actually I love the fact that you make it a tangible process with that art therapy, literally making it like that mind map, um, mm -hmm. uh, that treasure, that treasure map, um, of actually tangibly writing it down and seeing it and holding it in your hand, um, saying, this is what keeps me here. Yeah. Having that tangible presence can be so empowering like having the physical map in front of you, taking a picture of it with your cell phone, putting it as your like background wallpaper or something that you can pull up very easily on your phone. Yeah. Some people will photocopy it and put it in different locations around their house just in case they need that reminder. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that North Node can be something deep and meaningful that's far off in the future, like, like for the family that I want to have in five years after I graduate. Or, you know, it can be something as potentially, you know, we're coming back to personal judgments here, but as potentially seemingly meaningless as like, I want to stick around for the next season of Stranger Things, you know? <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, and it can be different. We can, part of the beauty of art therapy, I think, is is getting to tap into that playful creative side because because I'm like, yeah, I really want to see that next season of Stranger Things, like, like the way that it has been building, like, how can I leave it on this cliffhanger where they are right now? Like, right. come on. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't blame you. <laughs> and what's going to happen with the upside down? We don't even know. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly. But it, it's like one of those things right, right there where you also found connectivity, like just with you and me here, like, <laughs> That in itself is just like your your North Star was a connection to somebody else too. That's um, true. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, but that's awesome. Yeah, I, I that's a really profound point to make. That so often it's that lack of connection that pulls us away from that sense of control and that pulls us into that sense of isolation and hopelessness that drives us deeper into despair. Mm -hmm. So no matter what we're going through, the more we can come back into that communication and the more that we can find people to connect with and open up about what we're going through, the more we are truly living into what it means to be human and, and coming into embodiment as a human being on this planet. Like There's no space for perfection here. Absolutely. And I think that post-pandemic, it can be really challenging to find that connection to raw, authentic, vulnerable self. Mm -hmm. When we were put into isolation in the lockdown, I think a lot of us are still coming out of that space, still learning that it's okay to connect with people. And especially, you know, with so much happening through Zoom land where it's like, oh, like you can't tell if I'm even wearing pants right now. Like, right. <laughs> you know, yes. 
we've gotten so masked behind our screens that that when we're connecting with people, it's almost like it's become normalized to have a distance and to, to wear a mask with people these days. And so taking this chance to take off the mask and really start to create that human connection again, mm -hmm. it, it's transformative to culture. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And in some cases to people's lives, um, absolutely. which is all, all about this episode today is just that, that safety planning, that the, the protection and the promotion of life. Um, mm -hmm. And, and whatnot, because I mean, there, it goes without saying, but there is no life without suffering. Um, mm -hmm. And it's just that dichotomy between uh, living life um, and also suffering through it in, in areas. Um, but yes, we are social creatures for sure. It's just innate. Um, mm -hmm. And so interwo like that interwoven um, interpersonal connection uh, is so important for sure. Mm -hmm. yeah. Even with the best supports and the best connections, we can still find moments of hopelessness and we can still feel that sense of separation where like, even if we have trusted beloved people in our lives, we can feel awkward talking to them about what we're going through or feel like they're not understanding or feel like we're not getting the support we need from them. And so having this map of tools that you can use and tools that you can cycle back to and giving yourself the power to refine that map and and to know that you are in control and you're building these systems around yourself mm -hmm. I, I think it can be really helpful for people oh yeah yeah absolutely thank you so much for just shedding light on the on the topic on this really you know heavy and profound topic but necessary nonetheless you're so welcome. And one thing I, I'd love to uh, close just by uh, encouraging people who are interested in having a chance to practice those, those direct questions, like, are you having thoughts about ending your life? What ways have you been thinking about killing yourself? When do you think you would do it if you tried? If you need help practicing those things, there are mental health first aid courses nationally across the United States um, there are youth-focused courses as well as adult-focused courses, and it's an, I, I believe it's like an eight-hour class that you sit through on a weekday or a weekend. They've got flexible schedules, and um, certainly some of them can be done virtually. Some of them can be done in person, but I would really encourage people who are interested in holding space for those in their community or even learning more about how to hold space for themselves to look into mental health first aid courses that would take place in their area. Mm. Oh, absolutely. And where do you suggest um, they look these things up? Um, just kind of like a Google search in the area? Um, is there a specific um, resource online that they can, you know, I know that there are some like psychology today or something where, where you type in your zip code and it kind of mm -hmm. reroutes you. Where would you suggest, you know, uh, people to locate these things, these resources? So Mental Health First Aid is a nationally based organization. Uh, I would recommend people go to their website. It's www.mentalhealthfirstaid.org. And then uh, much like what you said, people would find a counselor on psychology today. Uh, you can get trained and um, find more information by finding a zip code, uh, excuse me, by inputting your zip code to find a course near you. Perfect. Yes, thank you so much for that resource. That's that's excellent. I think it's well needed. 
um, for sure. So um, just, you know, checking the time and everything, I wanted to give you enough time just to, to close with whatever final thoughts you have um, and, and whatnot. Hmm. Uh, thank you. I, I guess I would just say, yeah, stay safe out there, friends, and you're worth whatever supports you need in order to feel safe and supported. Yeah. Well, thank you so, so much. Um, and also just tying in the, the art therapy aspect of it. And good mm -hmm. luck on your journey, too. And the art therapy world, uh, we need you. Uh, and so, so needed. Happy, yes. Yeah. So, so many people need it. Oh, my gosh. But that's a, that's a tangent of a different topic. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Well, hopefully, maybe we'll have you on for a later episode and we can talk about something completely different. Um, I know, I mean, you've obviously had a lot of experience in like the healing arts itself. Um, and so tying that in maybe um, would be such an honor to have you again come on. So uh, it would be my honor to come and talk about it. I, I love the arts. I mean, yeah, I, I think that the arts are what heal us and connect us. And so coming back into the arts, um, both as tools within a safety plan and just as a ritual in everyday life, it's uh, it's deeply, deeply needed by so many people on so many levels. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And again, it, it just activates so many different facets of the body and the mind mm -hmm. um, and, you know, the spirit as well. It's just mm -hmm. it's so enriching in all different uh, different aspects. And like you said, don't have to be an artist to scribble. Right. Like <laughs> Exactly. Just do it. <laughs> I mean, I mean, even pe like people, uh, I think, can overlook that dance is an art form. Mm -hmm. Like so even if we're awkwardly moving our bodies, like we're engaging in an art. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, bad shower singing, yes. kitchen dancing, it's all yep. integrated, all connected. Yep. yep. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you again so, so much. Um, I appreciate you. all your pearls of wisdom. Well, and I'm sure so the audience much. does too. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for having me here. And thank you for holding the space for this. Like, Oh, yes. I can't even express it. I mean, best of luck as you grow this podcast and spread all your wisdom out into the world because it is thank so you. needed as well. Thank you. Thank you. I'm happy to do it. All right. Well, you take care. All right. Thanks so much. Thank you all so incredibly much for joining me today. And just a huge shout out to Jessica Snow for giving us such rich and powerful information. I do want to give that hotline number once more. So if you or someone you know is struggling with harmful ideation, I do encourage you to call 988, the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. They work to promote healing, help, and give hope in a crisis situation. Again, that number is 988. I do hope you guys all stick around for the unfolding episodes. Feel free to like, subscribe, and promote Training Wheels. And again, if you have any questions and or comments, you can reach me, Juliana Haug, via email at podcast.trainingwheels at gmail.com. Thanks and take care.